Oh, thank you for having me, Mount Hermon. And uh, I'm guessing most of you guys are from the Bay Area. Is that maybe right? Yeah. Yeah, give me a nod. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I spent two summers here uh, as in, when I was in college as a high school counselor, and it was spiritually formative uh, in my life. I mean, the friendships that I made. I'm still friends, actually, with some folks that we served here uh, summers, uh, summer of 1980, 1981. And, uh, and then my wife and I, in 1984, we served on summer staff as staff counselors down at the conference center. So this is a special place for me. I actually came back, I was sharing earlier, I want to say I spent 10 to 12 years uh, here at Ponderosa when I was a youth pastor. They would bring me up to speak at one of the high school camps each summer. And so this is a very, very special place for me. It's a sacred place. It's a place where uh, Christ and I have uh, enjoyed many, many talks, many conversations, where I have felt the love of the Father uh, in this very place. So I've been praying this week that you would experience that too. I'm going to introduce you to myself throughout the weekend through stories, maybe a few slides. I'll, uh, some of you are wondering, who is this guy? I'll show you my family, my, uh, my wife and I, and uh, our daughter, and then that good-looking guy on the right over there. This is my new son. His name's Garrett, and welcome, Garrett. Um, so my wife and I have been married 34 years. Our daughter, Shannon, uh, we adopted. We tried to have kids for 10 years, the infertility thing. The, the, we tried everything. It didn't work. And everyone said, just adopt. We tried to adopt. A woman ripped us off about 15 grand. And, and uh, we were, you talk about a, a doubt storm. And God, are you really good? You know, and then we got her. And uh, I'm emotional tonight because I was telling her husband, when Shannon was four years old, I was here giving a talk to high school students. And I gave an invitation for people to open their life to Christ. And I used a fist. And I said, some of us, just, just hold your fist up like this. This is your heart tonight. And if you want to open your heart to God, just, just in a very simple, gentle way, just open your hands to God. And when we got back to the cabin, <clears throat> Shannon goes, Daddy, four years old. She goes, Daddy, Daddy, you know that, that prayer you told the kids that they could have Jesus in their life? She goes, I did it. I did it. But she goes, but I didn't do it like this. I did it like this. It was hard, but I did it. And now Jesus is in my life, Daddy. It was right here, right in this room. This is a special, special place for me. And... Um, I'm a bucket list guy, by the way. They just got married in May, so they've been married, uh, what, four or five months, you know? They live in Santa Barbara. Uh, we live in Santa Barbara, so it's really fun that we get to hang out together. We have lunch together every Sunday afternoon. It's, it's, it's a kick. And usually when I speak at stuff like this, I bring three or four guys with me. I am passionate about mentoring, discipling guys. We're really creating a culture in Santa Barbara that's all about that. Um, but this particular time, I thought... This is the guy I'm going to disciple right here, right here. You're coming with me, and we're going to hang out for the weekend, and uh, we're, going to, we're going to love each other and begin to make memories together and serve together. So 
Uh, get to know Garrett this weekend and uh, extend yourself to him. We're excited to be here. I'm a bucket list guy. I don't know if you guys are. I got a bucket list that, uh, I mean, I'm proud of it, probably in a bad way. I'm proud of it. It's, it's big. But number one on my bucket list for many, many years is the next photo. And that was just simply walking my daughter down the aisle. That was always number one. I thought, man, someday, someday, I want to walk my little girl. And uh, there we are. I just love that photo of her. She's just, we're, we're tight. We're close. I love her to death. She's walking with the Lord and uh, so proud of her. Let me uh, pray for us, and then I'm going to jump right into a story tonight. Father, I, I'm just so happy to be here. And I pray that somehow, some way, that uh, what's communicated from this platform tonight, uh, that it would be about you, that you um, would take my thoughts, my words, my reflections, um, and that somehow they would find a way that they'd leap off the page of my notes and, 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 and into all of our hearts, and they'd bear fruit tonight. We're not going to touch the glory. It's all yours, Lord. So whatever you want to do in this room tonight, we invite you to touch us, to transform us, to help us, to heal us, uh, to come alongside and strengthen us and comfort us and encourage us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to take you back to being a 13-year-old. Can you remember that far back? I'm 58 years old, by the way. Those of you are wondering, how old is that guy? I'm 58 years old. 13-year-old. Uh, I lived in Oakland, California, a little area. <laughs> Uh, we got some Oak Town. All right. I love it. Right on. Um, my best friend in junior high school was a kid named Rusty Potter, redhead kid. Uh, we played ice hockey together out at uh, Iceland in Berkeley. And so we were, we were super tight. We both came from families of divorce and, um, we would do like, you know, sleepovers at each other's house. I remember this one particular uh, Friday night I was at his house and uh, we played that table hockey game all the time. I mean, it was just crazy. We just loved that. We woke up in the morning and his mother said, Rusty, would you be willing with John to coast uh, the green MG? You'll see the car. A car was similar to this. The green MG, would you be willing, the battery's dead, would you be willing to coast it to the shell station? When you get it to the bottom of the hill, just, just coast it into the shell station and just tell them, my mom wants you to charge the battery, uh, and she'll pick it up later. And I was naive. I'd never driven a car before or anything. And Rusty goes, sure, Mom. I didn't know this, but Rusty's dad had taken him out in the MG and was teaching him to drive, actually, as a 13-year-old. Um, go figure that one. But we get in the car, and we start coasting down, and I'm in the passenger seat, of course. And Rusty pushes the clutch in and slips it into second gear, and he looks at me, and he goes, watch this. Pops the clutch. Boom! That car starts up, and we are now driving down the hill. Two 13-year-olds. I'm like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? We get to the bottom of the hill. If you know Oakland, we hang a left on Thornhill Drive. And we go, wah, wah, third gear. Wah. I go, the Shell Station, Rusty. It was like life was slow motion. We went ripping past the Shell Station. We come up to a stoplight. We hang a left. And now we're heading past Montclair School, which is on our right, into Montclair Village, if you're familiar with it. We're, we're, 
We're going faster than we should into Montclair Village. And at this moment, as we're pulling into the village, life went into slow motion. I see a car whose reverse lights are on and he's parallel parking, pulling in. And I don't know what Russ said. I think maybe he meant to hit the brakes, but he put his foot on the clutch. And all I remember was I put my hands on the, on the front of the dashboard and I went, Rusty! Boom! We went right into the back of this car. The guy was like, he gets out and he starts walking to us. And the look on his face, he was not a happy camper. <laughs> and we were these, you know, two 13-year-old kids. I'm like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? My mind's racing so fast. And before I could even say anything, wah, wah, Rusty takes off. We now are hit and run drivers. What are you doing? He takes off. Comes to the stop sign, hangs the right, goes down. There's Montclair Liquor Store on the right there on the corner. Hangs another right. Now we're on the other side of Lucky's, going now towards Montclair Park. And we're in third gear again. And I'm like, I can't believe it. This is amazing. And we're just like high five and going, this is amazing. By the way, I wasn't a Christian at the time. <laughs> in that next moment, because we were, we were looking at each other, a brand new orange Volvo. I hope it was nobody in this room. But I knew it was brand new because the license plate, it didn't have one. It just had that dealer paper on it. It decided to make a left-hand turn into Lucky's. And I think Rusty was still learning how to use this clutch. I think he meant to hit the brake. <laughs> he puts his foot on the clutch. And I'm not kidding. Slow motion. Rusty! Boom! And we hit it and we bounced off. And I mean... Now there's glass, my face was bleeding, my head hit the front part of the uh, window there, and uh, smoke's coming out, but the engine's still running. <laughs> this is a true story, true story. I called Rusty, actually, uh, the first time I told the story, and I said, it was like 30 years later, I go, do you remember? He goes, yeah, man. I go, I want to make sure I'm not. He goes, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> <laughs> we bounce off the Volvo. He takes off. Wah, wah, wah. And off we go. And we're, we haul down. We pass the fire department. We come to the uh, stoplight. We hang a right. Now we're on Thornhill Drive again. We pull in to that shell station. And this is what I remember. He grabs the keys, he throws them to the gas station attendant. He says, my mom wants you just to fix everything. <laughs> and then, like two 13-year-olds, we were scared. So we just started running. And we ran to my house. We ran, 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 ran all the way to my house. And we ran upstairs. And, and in my bedroom, there was a little, like, attic. That, so we crawled in there, and we were hiding. And we're like, okay. Now what? You know, five minutes, ten minutes. How, well, did we get caught? Did we not? What? You know, and nothing happened. That was it. He goes, oh, I got to tell my mom. I go, no, 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 don't tell your mom. I got to tell, tell him. No, don't tell your mom. So we get on the phone. It's, you know, we both got her on the phone. True story. His mom's, he goes, Mom, John and I, we, we took the car for a drive. And we hit not one, but we hit... We got in two accidents. The MG's messed up, Mom. I don't think he said mess, but he said it's, 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 it's hurting. And here's what she said. 
She said, did anybody get our license plate? <laughs> this is not a story on parenting. And we said, we don't think so. And she goes, don't tell anybody, just come home. End of story. End of story, end of story, end of story. To this day, that's why I'm going, I hope that Volvo wasn't one of yours. So here's my connection, my transition into this. It wasn't until a few years later, I was 15, 16 years old, that I discovered that there's a, a different kind of joyride, one that isn't physically, that isn't emotionally so or relationally so reckless, right? That was reckless. It was physically reckless. It was relationally reckless with those folks. It was dumb. And I had never been to church a day in my life. And uh, the youth group at Oakland Covenant Church, First Covenant Church, Oakland, I did not know this, but at the time, they had a top 10 most wanted list of 10 people at Skyline High School that they said were um, least likely to want to follow Jesus. And I did not know this till years later. The pastor of the church actually told me, John Nothelfer. But he said, John Ireland, your name was number one on that list, and our student leadership team was praying for you before we even knew who you were. And uh, it was a night in February in Oakland. I went to a youth group outreach thing. Didn't know anything. I heard this speaker talk about Jesus dying for me, and it was, I literally, I was like, what does that mean? I mean, I, I was so far, never been to church at all. The only time I, I heard about Jesus was when my dad got mad. Jesus Christ. Oh, you know, that, I mean, that was it. I might have thought connection, you know, maybe a religious something. But, but um, and that night I heard for the first time that my life mattered to God, that, that I was loved by the God who made everything, the creator, the Lord God Almighty, and that I could uh, open my life to him. And uh, he would come into my life by his spirit, and uh, give me a purpose for living. Give me a reason to get up in the morning. Give me a reason not to uh, use people. Uh, or, I, and that, that was kind of, I was a taker. I wasn't a giver. And in that time in my life, I'd say that was the biggest change. That it, I went from being a, I'm not going to be your friend unless I get something from you, to Jesus turning that upside down and saying, no, your job is to be a giver, to serve people, no matter whether you get something from them or not. That was the, the number one shift that happened for me as a young person, as a teenager. And, uh, and then this whole idea of becoming the best version of yourself as you wholeheartedly follow Jesus, that's, that became the pathway for my life when I was 15, 16 years old. And so this whole idea of a joy ride, you know, Christians, we're not as joyful as I wish maybe, I speak for myself, that I want to be. You know, we don't connect joyride with Jesus, do we, right? When you think of church and this and that. But if you really look at the words of Jesus and you follow him, I like to tell our church, I tell them almost every week, followers of Jesus, follow Jesus. Not a novel idea. Followers of Jesus, follow Jesus. Let's try that. It's amazing what happens to your life when you actually follow him. Not what you think, but actually what he says. And this whole idea of my life matters to God and that I'm deeply loved, I'm his beloved son, and that he cares about me. There was a quote I, uh, I heard that I want to share with you tonight. You know how sometimes you hear something and, 
it's a quote, it's a scripture, it's something, but you go, oh my, that, like, like it's an aha moment, and it's like a neon light. I read this a few years ago, and I want to share it with you. It's, I think it's, uh, it's a story that Rick Warren down in Orange County shares. He says, a while back, a man came into my office, and this is what he said. He said, I'm a Christian, but I don't feel like I'm going anywhere in my spiritual growth. I'm kind of stuck in neutral. Can you relate to that maybe, right? We, get, we go in and out of that, some of us. I feel like I'm stuck in neutral. And Rick said, what do you think the problem is? And he said, I think my problem is I just don't love God enough. And Rick responded, that's not your problem. That is not your problem. Your problem is not that you don't love God enough. Your problem is that you don't understand how much God loves you. Now, you just soak in the truth of that. And that'll change your life if you allow it to sink in here deeply. I went on a 24-hour retreat with a guy that some of you have heard. His name's Brennan Manning. He's passed away now. 1993, so was that, 24 years ago. I went on a 24-hour retreat, and Brennan Manning for 24 hours just kept telling me how much God loves me, how crazy he is about me, that he loves me, loves me. And I got to tell you, it, it, it hit me here. It's like, yeah, no, I know that, for God so loved the world. I know that, you know, I could quote the, it wasn't here. I, I knew it here, but it, it, I didn't feel loved by God. It was kind of a, a cerebral, I know he loves me, but what difference might it make? What's Rick saying? In the, your problem is that you don't understand how much God loves you. Why is this so important for us? I'm going to read a quote. You guys, any of you read The Shack? I know the movie came out as well. Listen to this quote. I should have it on the screen, but I don't. Uh, I'm old school. Here's what it says. Listen to this. Living unloved Living unloved is like clipping a bird's wings and removing its ability to fly. And I just know in a group this size, there are not one, there are many of us in this room that have lived life wondering, feeling, sensing, does anybody really know me, care about me, love me? I mean, really, I know people say they do. Oh, hey, bro, we love you. But do they know me? Do they care? Do they show up for me? And I think there's a lot of us that live our lives just like this quote. We're, we're, our wings have been clipped. We can't soar. We can't fly the way God designed you and me to soar and fly. So I'm going to just spend a few minutes uh, talking about two verses tonight. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. If you have a Bible, these are Paul's words. They're not Jesus. They're Paul's. But they really are, I think... Uh, it's kind of like when Vince Lombardi used to stand in front of his team at training camp. The first thing he did, if you don't know the story, he'd hold a football in front of pro football players and he'd say, this is a football. That's, that's how he started training camp. It was like, let's, let's begin this weekend with a foundation of the love of God. Listen to these words. Ephesians 3, 18 and 19. In fact, let's not just listen. Why don't we stand together? Let's let the work or the word of God do the work of God in us. Let's read these words together. Shall we do that? <clears throat> Beginning in verse 18. And may you have the power 
to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. You may be seated. God's love, these verses remind me, God's love is better than you think. It's just better. Touch the guy next. Just say, God's love is better than you think. Just remind him of that right now. Just tell him, God's love is better than you think. You're not buying it. You don't believe me. We're going to talk about it right now. Four words that we see in here, wide, long, high, and deep. And I think that these four truths transform us if we allow them to move from here to here. So this, this idea that God's love is wide, the width of God's love extends, how wide? How wide? It extends across the entire world to every nation, every race, every person. God loves everyone, even them. Who's your them? Even them? I did a sermon series called Even Them. Yeah, even them. Even you? Yeah, even you, even me. Now you think about that. Some of us are like, I don't want God to love them. I mean, it was Anne Lamott who said, when you figured out that God hates all the same people you hate, he's no longer God. You've made God in your own image. But we do that. But now we've put God in a box. God's love is uncontainable. It is wide. I love this St. Augustine quote. God loves each of us as though there were only one of us. God loves each of us as though there were only one of us. I only have one daughter. I don't have a bunch. I got one, man, and I love her to death. Now I got a son. I got a, I got a daughter and a son, and I feel so rich. And you know what? I, I love them like they're the only one. I love my, my little shanty town, we call her. Uh, but this love of God, it's, it's uncontainable. It's wide. It's also long. There is a limit to our love, isn't there? There is a limit to human love. It wears out. It dries up. When people disappoint me, when people hurt me, uh, when people give up on me, when people turn their back on me, you know what I say? I'm done. I'm done with her. I'm done with him. I don't want to be that way, but my flesh, my selfishness, that's just, without the spirit of Jesus in me, that's the way we operate in this world. I'm done. We have a limit to our love. And I've had so many experiences with people in church life. I mean, I've been a pastor in Santa Barbara since 1985. And um, in student ministry, there were kids I gave up on. And it, it grieves my heart. There's a couple in our church who I'm actually really good friends with. They came to know Jesus four years ago. We baptized them in our church. She owns her own yoga studio. He's a professional triathlete. Uh, as a profession. He, he goes to all these things and he trains people and blah, blah, blah. Anyways, they gave their heart to Christ. Two years ago, both of her parents died within months of each other, early, tragically. These guys, this couple's in their 30s and, uh, and they kind of drifted away. And we'd kind of get together for coffee and this and that, and, but they hadn't, been, they hadn't been to church in two years. And I got to tell you, my heart was like, I'm done. I'm, I, I, that's where I was going. I'm done. I'm done. 
I got other people I need to, that's, you know. Two weeks ago, we were doing a, de a baby dedication and they just had a baby and I went and visited the baby in the hospital, it was great. I mean, I'm friends with them, but I'm, and uh, they got the e-news about the baby and they said, we would love to have our baby dedicated. Is it okay? And, uh, or actually, here's what they said. Would you come to our home and do a private baby dedication for us? And I said, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm not, I, I want to because I want to serve you, but it's not good for you. It's not good for the church. You need to be part of the community. The community needs to be part of your life. Your baby Reese needs, needs a, a faith community to help mentor and disciple her. So they ended up showing up to the baby dedication. She posted on Instagram this with a picture of us praying over them as a family. She said, two years ago, my faith got rocked. I felt like a fake if I went back to church because of my doubts, my fears, my uncertainties. But today, I felt like I came home. The church service was just for me. I was reminded that I can never be too far from God's love because his love is unlimited. That's how long it is. We give up, but God doesn't give up. God wasn't like, ah, oh, forget them. They're slackers. You know what it reminded me of? God, I'm really going to go longer tonight. But um, here's what it reminded me of. There's a guy named Larry Osborne, North Coast Church in San Diego. Heard him speak, and this is what he said. In the church, you know, you know who we love? We love lost people. We love people that, that are far from God that aren't church. We love those people. And we love Navy SEAL Christians. And then he said, but we hate the strugglers. We hate the strugglers because they should be Navy SEAL Christians by now. You should be further along. You should be more committed. You should be. And it really, as a leader in the church, that, that touched me. I was like, he's speaking to me right now. I, I got to have God change my heart toward the struggler because you know who's a struggler? Hello, you're looking at him right here. I'm a struggler. I'm not a Navy SEAL Christian. In fact, Larry Osborne went on to say, Trying to grow Navy SEAL Christians is a bad idea. And he said, you know why? What we've discovered in our ministry, Navy SEAL Christians end up being two kinds of people. They're either arrogant and full. Hey, man, I got up at 3.30 this morning, memorized the book of Leviticus. How about you? <laughs> That's the Navy SEAL Christian. They become arrogant or they become liars. Oh, yeah, me too. I got up at 3.15, you know. We, we want to keep up, and so we, we, we pretend that we're somebody we're not. And I just love that Jason and Adrian, man, they just, they, they're back. And it's the love of God that touched them. Oh, number three is the word high. His, I, we hope that, you know, he prays that we would discover how high God's love is. It's undeniable. I love this thought. God's love's high enough to overlook my mistakes and your mistakes. God's love is high enough to overlook your mistakes. Have you ever messed up? You ever felt like, oh, I bet you there's somebody in this room tonight that's going, there's nobody in here like me. There's nobody who's messed up like I've messed up. Maybe you've been getting away with some stuff. Maybe you're the one tonight thinking to yourself, I'm not who you guys think I am. Maybe you feel like a fake, a fraud, a pretender. Maybe you feel like 
you'll always be defined by what you did. I guess what I want you to hear tonight, based on this text, the love of God, God's not embarrassed by your darkness. He's not disgusted by your sin. He loves you. I mean, you know that passage in, what, Romans 5, 8. God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were, what's the next word? While we were yet or still sinners. Not, he didn't wait for us to say we were sorry and get our act together. While we were still in sin, still rebellious, still doing our own thing, he sacrificed his life for us in love. That's how high his love is. No matter how high your sins might be piled up, God is still higher. His love can overlook your sins. And isn't it Romans 8 where it says, neither height nor depth can separate us from what? The love of God. Height, there's nothing, nothing can separate us. And then the fourth is the word deep. He, Paul prays that we would discover how deep God's love is. It's, it's unfathomable. It's that word, it, it has to do with being bottomless, deep. There's, there is no end. You just, it's down. If you're a scuba diver, and I do dive, you ever been like on the edge and then it just it, it drops off and you're like, what? that's scary. When you're diving, doing drift dives on walls and you're looking down going, how far down is that? And it just feels bottomless. And that's, that's what this has to do with. That's how deep God's love is. Listen to this. Psalm 18, verse 16. He reached down from the heavens and rescued me. He drew me out of deep waters. He led me to a place of safety. He rescued me. Listen to this. Because he delights in me. He rescued me because he delights. He loves me. He loves you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut out some of my notes. I'm going to tell you a story here. We have a guy who helped me start this church 19 years ago, married, three kids. <clears throat> um, and after five years, I uh, kind of drifted away and um, came back into my life, started coming back to our church in the last few months called me and said, I want to have coffee with you. I, so we met for coffee, and he said, have you heard my story? And I said, I've heard it from other people. And he said, I want to tell you my story. This is a guy, and, and as he tells the story, um, this is a guy who had everything. He said, I'm the poster child. I am the poster child for having everything and throwing it all away. He's married for almost 30 years. So kind of, I've been married 35. I mean, he's, this was six years ago. He has three grown kids, uh, and this is what he said. This is how he told the story. He goes, I was over at the hospital, and there was a cute young honey, probably 27, 28, that was smoking hot. His words, not mine. And we struck up a friendship, and she liked to swim in the ocean, and I did. And we were down at the beach one day, and I got out of the ocean, and she was in a little bikini, and he said, as I got out of the ocean, she ran up to me with a towel and she wrapped it around me. And she said, you're the most amazing man I've ever met. And he said, John, do you know what that is? I was like, temptation? <laughs> he said, no, he said, that's heroin. That's heroin. 
And he goes, and you know what? I took it. I cashed in my marriage. I lost everything. He said, my kids today, he's sobbing. He said, my kids today won't talk to me. I have a granddaughter. I've never met her. Because I decided to indulge in an affair. And he goes, that was five, six years ago. And uh, he said, I've got to explain something to you. In the last five years, something's happened in my heart. He said, I've discovered the love of God. It's gone from up here to in here. And that's why when you texted me and you said, Dave, I'll meet you at Handlebar Cafe, I said, it's David. He goes, Dave is dead, John. Dave's gone. I'm David now. I've been really born again. I'm a new man. I'm the beloved child of God. I'm his dearly loved son. He goes, I cry every day. I'm tender because I, I, I threw my life away. I mean, this is a guy, actually, he's a multimillionaire who lost almost everything in the divorce. Today, he says, my wife wants nothing but to see me on the side of the road. That's her mission with a sign that just says, you know, we'll work for food or whatever. This is a Christian guy that threw it all away. That's a guy like you. It's a guy like me. What I love about it, it's a redemptive story. Six years later, he's freed up. He's not a victim. He's like, I don't want you to feel sorry for me. I'm paying the price. I'm suffering the consequences from some poor decisions there. Uh, they ended up getting divorced, and he actually just got married two weeks ago, remarried, and uh, he's doing well. But he would say to you if he were here tonight, man, I, I, I was in a Christian men's accountability group every week. I go, how'd that work for you? He goes, I just lied. Christian accountability doesn't work unless you want it. It's not when guys enforce it on you. You've got to give guys permission and say, I, I want you to circle back with me next week because I need you to ask me about this area of my life. That's how it works, not, dude, what do you, you know. He goes, that's how it was. It didn't work for me. The love of God, it's better. It's greater than you think. So I'm going to close with this story, then I'm done. Five years ago, I was invited to Oprah Winfrey's house. I play golf with a guy named Stedman, who's known as her guy, Stedman Graham. Stedman turned 60. Oprah threw a 60th birthday party for him. Invited 60 people. Um, somehow I got an invitation. And uh, my wife and I went. It was, and it was a weekend thing. It was, it, was, um, it was Saturday golf. Saturday night, this big party at Oprah's house. And then come back Sunday morning for brunch. Uh, she flew in her chef from Chicago, made fried chicken and waffles. It was awesome. It was so good. But here's what happens. Saturday night, I show up suit and tie with my wife. I don't know why I did this, but um, it's just kind of maybe my quirky personality. They welcomed us. And, and uh, Oprah said, hi, you know, hey, John, hi, Natalie. And, and I said, hey, Oprah. And I don't know why I said this, but... I said, Oprah, give me a kiss. She just went, Mwah. She just gave me a big old kiss. I said, I don't even know why I asked you to do that, but I'm just glad to be in your house tonight, you know. So we come into this house, 
And there's 60 people that set up a table here, a table here, a table here, 20 at each thing. This is after we had a little cocktail party uh, ahead of that. We're sitting, we get assigned seats, and I sit at my table and I go, how did I get stuck sitting across from these people? I want to hang out with the famous people. That's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking. There is a couple that are sitting across from me. This is who they are. That's who I got stuck sitting across at, at Oprah's big party, at Stedman's party, these two people. They're in their 80s, and I'm just, authentic moment. I'm like, doggone it, Lord. So you know what? I don't lock eyes with them. I decide I'm going to talk to the people here and to the people here, but I don't want to get stuck all night talking to these folks. That's just a true confession right here. So we have, you know, little soup, little salad comes later, little stuff's passing around, and then the main course comes. I still have not, we've not connected. We've not reached across the table. God put them right in front of me, but I was like, I don't want to talk to them. That was my selfish John Ireland. Uh, so about halfway through dinner, I did, I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. John, just reach across and introduce yourself. So I said, hi, I, I, I'm so sorry we haven't met. My name's John. It's my wife, Natalie. And that guy goes, I'm Jimmy. This is my wife. I'm like, whoa, man, no wonder I didn't introduce myself to this guy. You mean grouchy, Jimmy? He goes, so what do you do? First question, so what do you do? And I say, because when you tell people you're a pastor, it's a party killer. I mean, it just, it, it just is. It, I've done it so many times, and people go, oh, cool. <laughs> so I say, I'll give you 100 bucks if you guess what I do. And he says, this is so funny, I'm going to guess that you uh, own your own fashion magazine. I go, no, no. I said, I'm a pastor. He goes, what? I said, I'm a pastor. He goes, you mean like a minister of the church? And I go, yeah. And he says, how'd you get invited to this party? <laughs> I said, good question. He says, so, like, are you like one of these pastors that's into saving souls? Is that what your business is? I go, well, I don't really use that language, saving souls. That's a little old school. He goes, well, what language do you use? Well, we talk about helping people find and follow Jesus. Okay. He goes, so how's business? <laughs> I go, well, to be honest with you, our church is kind of stagnant. We've been kind of plateaued now for a few years. He goes, how come? I go, I don't know. He said, what? I said, yeah, I don't know. He goes, what do, you, what do you mean you don't know? Are you the leader of this church and you don't know why this, your church isn't, your business is plateaued? You need to know that. And now he's pointing at me. You need to know that. And all of a sudden I'm like, whoa. And now people at other tables are looking at us. <laughs> There's a guy named Doc Brown who's just this awesome guy. He, uh, he was with Mandela when he got out of prison, Doc Brown. But Doc Brown's wife is going, <clears throat> Jimmy and the Rev. They call me the Rev. Jimmy and the Rev. Jimmy and the Rev. They're having it out, everybody. I mean, this is a party of 60 people. She's calling me out. Jimmy and the Rev. I'm like, oh, gosh. So, so Jimmy looks at me, and he says, how much money you spend in advertising? I go, advertising? That doesn't work. I go, yeah, I don't know anybody that watched a commercial of a church and went to church that it's 
that's baloney. It doesn't work. And news, I, I don't, I, haven't, I spent zero. He goes, I made all my money in advertising. You're wrong. I went, okay. And then he said this. He goes, do you think the good Lord, do you think the good Lord wants your church to grow? I said, yeah, I think he does. He said, would you consider yourself a praying man? I said, yes, I would. Yes, I would. He goes, well, doesn't it say somewhere in the good book, if you ask the good Lord for a loaf, he won't give you a stone? Yeah, that's in there. <laughs> Seems to me you haven't been praying enough. And then he looked at me, and this is what he said. We're going to find out tonight how serious you are about Jesus we're going to find out tonight how serious you are about your job. Because quite frankly, I don't think you're that serious about it. You haven't, you, I, I, you haven't convinced me that you're serious about what you do. But tonight, we're going to find out. <laughs> Believe me, I'm like, no wonder I didn't talk to this guy. <laughs> he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to come up with a strategy of how you think the good Lord might help your church grow. I want you to get with whoever your leaders are, your staff, and I want you to own it. Don't, I want you to go. I, we think that if these steps, this strategy, what, maybe it's a seven-step strategy, whatever it is, you come up with it. And he said, and I want you to own it. And when you come up with that, he says, then... I want you to go out and raise $100,000. I'm like, oh, great, right, yeah. No, do you, if you believe in the plan, you'll go out and you'll fund it if you really believe that Jesus is calling you to go and grow your church. And he goes, and here's the deal. You go raise that hundred grand, and then, and he has his napkin, you call this number. I go, what number is that? He goes, that's who's in charge of my, all my philanthropic giving. And I'll send you a check the next day for a hundred grand. And I go, whose number is that? And he, it's this woman. And I go, I want your, we're buddies now, Jimmy. Give me your cell number. He goes, no, you get this number. <laughs> so I leave that night. I can't sleep, right? I'm laying in bed that night going, Lord, is, is this you, Lord? Is this a Holy Spirit moment in John Ireland? Lynn's life. And I would honestly tell you before I went to that dinner, I was, I've been in Santa Barbara 30 something years. I had, I had, I'd kind of grown comfortable, got my church, got my life, the urgency, the passion. Was, I was just kind of playing it safe. I wasn't taking risks. And sometimes when you get comfortable, you get careless. And I was just kind of on cruise control in my life. So I'm laying in bed and I'm just going, oh my gosh, my life just got wrecked tonight by the Holy Spirit through this guy, Jimmy. But I had to have it confirmed. I'm the kind of guy that I got to. <clears throat> so I go to my board. My board meeting meets Monday night. <clears throat> We're about to meet, and a woman, a single mom, comes up to me and says, can I talk to you before the board meeting? She's on the board. And I say, can, we're, we got to get to the meeting. Can you I said, yeah, I'll, meet, I'll talk to you after. So I share this whole story with the board, and I said, I need you to either say, this is just you or is this God saying, we, we need to come up with a plan. God wants us to really be a light uh, in Santa Barbara. And let's get serious about reaching lost people with the gospel of Jesus. And they're like, oh, man, God's in it. We got to do this. 
And uh, so now we got to think about how are we going to raise this money? Well, let's pray about it. And uh, <clears throat> we'll meet next month. We'll talk, blah, blah, blah. So this woman comes up to me. I swear to you. She comes up to me and she says, I, I wanted to talk to you before, but now I'll just tell you. I just inherited a million dollars from my father and I want to give the church a hundred thousand dollars. Would that be okay? And if you want, it can be for the Jimmy fund. And that's what we called it. The Jimmy fund. I called Jimmy, the, called Jimmy on Tuesday morning. Yo bro, I got the money. I got the strategy. Next day, the check came next day that he wired the money to us. So why do I tell you that story? <clears throat> this weekend, you never know who God puts in front of you. You never know the guy that you're going to sit next to at, at lunch who might need your encouragement. God used Jimmy to spur me on, to get me out of my complacency, to challenge me, to encourage me, to kind of push my buttons a little bit. And there are men here that you need to be encouraged this weekend. Some of you are comfortable to the point where you're just going through the motions. And I just want you not to miss God speaking to you, God loving you by the people he puts in front of you. This guy, by the way, is worth $6.2 billion, third richest man in all of Canada. And I didn't want to talk to him. He wanted to fund my outreach program, and I was too important for him. Don't be too important for anybody this weekend. Be willing to talk to anybody who God puts right in front of you. Maybe you're sitting up by the fire. I don't know what it is, but let's notice each other. Let's pay attention to each other. Let's minister to each other. Let's spur one another on. Let's remind each other how much God loves us. That's where it begins. Let me, let me pray. Put your hand on your heart. Would you do that? Just put your hand on your heart right there. Just let that be your saying to the Lord, you, you have my heart tonight. Kind Father, thank you for your love. It's better than we think. It's amazing. My prayer tonight is for the, for the men that have shown up on this weekend. And uh, maybe their faith journey has been a little bit more cerebral, going through the motions. And, and our mind is important, but, but this weekend I pray, God, that you would, you would just soften our hearts to feel loved by you, to know that you do want to pick us up, that you do want to just give us a hug, a pat on the back, words of encouragement, that you believe in us and that you went to the cross to prove that you love us. May that go from our head to our hearts this weekend. May it change the way that we live. And I pray for divine appointments. I pray for spiritual conversations that matter around the breakfast, lunch, dinner table, around the campfire, around the swimming pool, around the pool table, even in, and in here. Have your way, God. Holy Spirit, come. Come, come, come on this weekend and fill us and feed us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. You guys are fun. Looking forward to it.